Hey, Scott here with Grace Bible Church. Before we get into this message, I just wanted to thank you for streaming this sermon. We pray that each week you are challenged by who God is and what he has done for you. Now, this is never meant to be a substitute for you to be an active member of a community of faith. If you live in the Hollidaysburg area, or if you're in town for any reason, we encourage you to gather with us on Sunday mornings for our word and worship. You can learn more about what God is doing through our church body on our website, gbclive.org. Welcome to Gospel Roots. My name's Brian. I'm one of five teachers here in Gospel Roots, and uh, I'm glad you guys could join us here today. This is a class where we believe that gospel fruit grows from gospel roots. Um, Excited to get into the book of Galatians with you today. Um, I don't know if you've read it. It's only six chapters. It's fast-paced, lots of action, and it's rich, and it's deep. The title for today is Freed by Grace, and as you can see, we are only studying five verses. So this is the part where normally, uh, when I've taught in the past, that I would start out by saying, this is just a survey. Uh, We're going to be covering five chapters of Exodus, and we're going to be skipping over a lot of stuff. And so I'm really excited about this study with Galatians because we really do have the opportunity. It's only six chapters. I'm going to be covering five verses today. Next week, I believe, we're only covering five verses as well. And so it really gives us an opportunity to dig into God's Word. So I'm, I'm super excited about that. And, uh, you know, as we dig into it, I'm going to try to pull out from the Scripture things that I really felt that the Spirit was speaking to me about, but hopefully the Spirit speaks to you about as well. Just a reminder of what our main theme is in Galatians. It's also on your overview notes, so if you have picked that up, you can follow along. It should also be on your outline that you can follow along with and, and jot some notes down. But the heart of the gospel is justification by faith alone in Christ alone, not by obedience to any kind of external standard, resulting in freedom that is both empowered and shaped by the Spirit. So last week, um, if you weren't here, Pastor Brian spoke and gave us the overview of uh, Galatians. And I would recommend to you, if you weren't here last week, please go back and listen to that, because I thought it was excellent. Uh, what he had to tell us about the history, the historical context, uh, the historical redemptive context of Galatians, where it falls in the the redemption story. Um, A lot of those things that Brian touched on are contained in these overview notes. And I'm not going to hit on all of them today, but uh, please go back and listen to that because it really sets the stage uh, for what we're going to be learning and studying in Galatians over the next several weeks. So just to recap a little bit and set the context for today, uh, this is a letter written by Paul to the Galatians uh, who he had gone to on his missionary journey and told them the gospel. And we know that there were certain people, Judaizers, who had come in uh, and had started spreading a false gospel. That gospel that they were spreading, this false gospel, was that in order to be justified, in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised, or you had to follow certain aspects of the law. So we read in Acts 13 and 14, the beginning of Paul's ministry, and I believe Barnabas was with him as well, to Galatia. 
And so Brian gave us this map last week. I want to pull this up for those of you who may not have been here, but just sort of as a, a reminder, it talks about in Acts how Paul and Barnabas were commissioned at Antioch and set apart and sent on mission to the Gentiles. And you see there that they began in Antioch and then they went to Paphos and then they went to Perga and then you see that they end up in Galatia. And you see numerous churches there, Antioch and Pisidia, Lystra, Iconium, Derbe, and Ancyra. We know that when they went on this missionary journey that they faced a lot of contention. Um, they were actually beaten for the gospel. They were joyful about it, <laughs> but they were beaten for the gospel. But we also know that people accepted their word. In Acts 13.48, it talks about the people in Galatia's response uh, to the good news that Paul shared with them. And it says this, it says, They were glad when they heard the good news of the gospel, and all who believed were appointed for eternal life. So we know we have converts in Galatia. The church has been started in Galatia, and they had accepted the teaching of Paul, the gospel that Paul shared with them, as truth and as good news in their life. We also know that some of the people were Gentiles or Jews. So you can expect that these people were coming out of some sort of legalistic, ritualistic experience in their lives as far as worshiping a god. If they were Jews, they were, they were following the law. They were involved in the requirements of the law, circumcision, and they believed that that was what justified them to God. If they weren't and they were Gentiles, they were probably sacrificing the idols or sacrificing food, whatever it was that they were doing to believe that they were now at peace or, or justified with their God. So one other point that I want to make here is that this letter to the Galatians churches was written only about 15 years after the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So it was only after 15 years. Now, I don't know the exact time frame. We don't know the exact time frame from when Paul actually went to the churches and from the time frame that he shared the good news to them and this letter was written. But we do know that it's about 15 years after Christ's resurrection that he wrote this letter to them. So these people that we know that had heard the good news, had accepted it, were joyful about it, within 15 years or so, had already begun to forget it. So because our text is short, I'd like to just start out. Let's read it together. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of, the, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So our main idea today is simple. It is only by God's grace that we have been rescued from sin and death and reconciled to Him. I want to cover four main points with you today for those five verses. But those four main points are Paul's unique authority, the unity 
of the message that he shared with the Galatians. Grace and peace and the gospel message. So I want to start out with Paul's unique authority. So in the first verse it says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. We know that Paul's authority was under attack. So he was away from the Galatians churches, and we know initially that these Judaizers were attacking his authority and they were trying to spread a false gospel. They were opponents to the message of grace, and they were insisting that in order to be saved, in order to be justified with God, you had to follow the law. You had to be circumcised. So in defense of his authority, right off the bat, Paul identifies himself as an apostle, or one who is sent. That's what apostle means. And we know that Paul's not a man who comes with some form of letters of recommendation or relies on some man or some person to set him as a uh, set him apart or set him with someone with authority but we know that this is something that he directly has from God we know the history of Paul Paul was a murderous pursuer of Christians and before his conversion so I'd like to read a little bit of Acts 9, uh, but the focus here is not about his conversion. I want to focus on his authority and the origins of his authority. Later on in Galatians, we'll focus more about his conversion and the importance of his testimony of what God did in his life. But right now, I'd like to focus on his authority. So let's read Acts 9. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that, if, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight in the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see here that Paul 
was chosen by God. He was set apart by God, and it was by God's design and His grace that He appointed Paul specifically to be a messenger to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Additionally, we see here that Paul specifically saw Jesus. His appointment, his, his, uh, his origins of his mission came straight from Jesus. It's Jesus who told him what to do and what to say. So, how many people know the gossip game? The gossip game. Uh, you know the gossip game? So it's where you start with, uh, we do this a lot of times in Awana just to prove a point, but we have uh, one person start, you tell them a sentence, and then they have to whisper it to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, to the next person, and then about seven people down the road, you see what it is that they, uh, the sentence. It never sounds anything like the first time, right? So they get it all mixed up. It has nothing to do with that. In this particular instance, we can see that this message that we're about to read from Paul is coming straight from the Lord. And so that gives us confidence. It gives us a knowledge that Paul heard straight from Jesus. And so we know that the words we're about to read in the beginning of Galatians are the words of Jesus. Um, So I want to begin... Next, with the unity of the gospel message. So, the false gospel that was infiltrating the Galatian churches was causing disunity and confusion. We know that God's not the author of confusion. But Paul begins his chapter uh, 1 and 2, but talks about that Their disunity is nothing like what he's coming with. He has unity with him. So he emphasizes the unity of his letter in the gospel messages with him, proclaiming that is affirmed by the brothers and sisters with me and God the Father and God the Son. So his message is one of everyone with me, everyone that traveled with me, everyone that I'm with right now, affirms and agrees with the message I'm about to proclaim to you. The message I come to you is not just from them, but it's from God the Father and God the Son. This is sort of a, are you with us or with them type of moment. Paul's saying we are united in the truth and we're one with Christ. I have the Father and Son and everyone with me on my side. Where do you stand? Charles Spurgeon says this about unity and truth. Truth alone must determine our alignments. Truth comes before unity. Unity without truth is hazardous. Our Lord's Prayer in John 17 must be read in its full context. In verse 17 it says, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Only those sanctified through the word can be one in Christ. To teach otherwise is to betray the gospel. Paul is confronting the Galatians with the truth of the gospel and the word he received from God the Father and from Christ. 
Those that are with him are united in that truth. And the truth starts with confronting the lie that the Galatians have begun to believe. So, I want to talk about grace and peace. First words matter. And so, the first things that you say to someone has importance. And when you look at the words that Paul says here to the Galatians, his first words to them are grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look at the previous paragraph, I would call that basically an introduction or a prologue. But it says to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know it wasn't uncommon for Paul in his letters to reference grace and peace. You'll see this in most of Paul's letters. In fact, uh, that's not all of them. I have Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. There's others that he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is not just a greeting. And sometimes the tendency is, especially when I read my Bible, I'll just skip right over that. Like, I'll just read that, like, okay, grace and peace and then from the Father, but I'll just keep going on. But I really don't focus on the importance of what that means in Paul's initial words to the Galatians. The word here for grace is cheris, which means more than just a greeting. It's a focus on the unmerited blessings given to believers in Christ. It's what God has done for mankind through His Son, which we can't earn, don't deserve, and will never earn. It's the same word that Paul uses in his letter to the Ephesians when he states, It's for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So this, isn't, this is not a grace that would be like common grace. Now, I don't know about you guys. I was up pretty early this morning. I walked outside, and the sun was coming up. And today was probably one of the prettiest days I've seen this year. It was gorgeous out. The leaves are turning. It's a beautiful fall day here in Pennsylvania. That is grace. That's God's grace. God has given us the ability to see the beauty of His creation. He gives us the ability to walk out and enjoy that. That is the grace of God. But you do not have to be a believer in order to enjoy that grace. You don't have to. Anybody can walk out the door and enjoy that grace. That's common grace. But this grace is specifically grace that has the power to save. This is grace that transforms someone. You'll also see this grace uh, and peace seven times in Galatians. So this is an important theme in Galatians that Paul repeats over and over again throughout the six chapters. It's also important to note what Paul doesn't say in his beginnings to the Galatians. There's no thanksgiving. So in those other letters that I referenced to the other churches, you normally saw, in addition to speaking about grace and peace, He would also, at that time, talk about thanksgiving for your faith. 
And so we know, and this sets us up for next week, but we know that Paul is about to confront them pretty sternly about where they're headed. So you don't see the typical thanksgiving for where their faith is because he knows that they've been already starting to turn away from the truth of the gospel and starting to believe a false gospel. So he doesn't offer thanksgiving for them. So we know that there is no aspects of work in grace. Romans 11.6 says, And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So if I try to, if I try to accept a gift and thereafter pay for it, I'm nullifying the gift itself. So this week, I actually had a, uh, a gentleman, a uh, friend of mine, ask if I would go out for lunch. And uh, I said, sure. So we sat down at lunch, and when we were sitting down for lunch, he said, I just want you to know I'm buying. Um, to which my immediate reaction, just the way I am, is I'm like, no, you're not. I'm not, you're not buying. And he's like, yes, absolutely. We're not having this lunch if I don't get to buy. I want to buy. Well, there's something inside of you, if you're like me, I don't like somebody to buy me anything, uh, especially lunch. Uh, I feel like that results in me owing them something, I guess, or, or feeling obligated in some way. But imagine if after he bought my lunch, which he did, that after we left, I went back in and I said to the person who took our payment, here's my credit card, take it off his card, put it on my card. That's what the Galatians were doing. That's what they were considering. They were considering taking the free gift that that was given to them through Jesus Christ and saying, I want to pay for it now. I want to do something to earn my salvation. I want to do something to nullify the grace of what Jesus did for me. I want to find a way to pay for it. And that way that they were being taught was to do something called circumcision. And it was, as we know, circumcision was given to us by God the Father. It was given to the, to the Jews through the Old Testament. It set them apart. It was part of their uh, commitment to the God. But what Paul is telling them is Jesus, he satisfied the law. He fulfilled the law. There was no further requirements now as a result of Jesus coming. But they wanted to continue this idea that there was something that they would have as part of their salvation. It's the same with peace. So he says grace and peace. You can't earn peace with God. There's nothing you can do to to accomplish peace and reconciliation with God apart from the gift of God. So much of what we do in life is that we try to get rest based on our own accomplishments. Um, I have a particular job where I can go in and during the day, it feels like everything that I'm doing unravels. So I didn't, you know, I thought I was going to get this done, but something happened. It didn't get completed. The next project that I thought I'd get done, didn't get done, didn't get completed. And so I'm very uneasy. I'll come home from work and I feel very unsettled because I'd never accomplished something. I just want to get something done. So I'll mow the grass or I'll do something. I'll fix something. 
And that causes me sometimes to feel a false rest, right? We want to have rest sometimes in our own accomplishments. And again, this is what the Galatians were looking for. They would have peace or reconciliation with God, but it would be based on their own accomplishments. They would, they would feel, whew, well, I got circumcised, now I'm okay. I guess at least that would be the men. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but that's not where peace flows from. Peace flows from grace. Reconciliation with God is a gift from God. It's not, it does not rest on any of our accomplishments. So, what I'd like to turn our attention to next is the truth of the gospel. And the beauty of this five verses is that Paul wraps up the gospel, the truth of the gospel, in very short terms. It doesn't take a novel to preach the gospel. The gospel is in five verses. It is not complex. That's grace in of itself. And it, it's easy to share. But Paul wraps it up in five verses. So don't go to sleep on me. I'd ask you not to, anyhow. Um, so I know most of you know the gospel. We've studied in here, and I, I would encourage you, if you, if you uh, did not participate or you were not part of this class, we went through the gospel. Um, and we studied that as part of the Nine Mark series and the Healthy Church series that we were uh, doing. Um, go back and listen to it. But don't go to sleep on me here because I, it's so important um, to preach to ourselves every day. So I want to get you guys involved. Um, I haven't highlighted anything, but I'd like to hear from you. In these five verses, what is the good news of who the Father is? In these five verses, tell me the good news. Who, who does these verses tell us who the Father is? God the Father. Yes. You raised Jesus from the dead. Yes. Through Jesus Christ, yep. Sovereign will to do what? Rescue us. There's grace in him sending Paul. He commissioned and sent Paul. But for God's will, he sent Paul to the churches in Galatia with his word. God the Father commissioned Paul. He shows his grace and his desire to save us. Someone mentioned he raised, he's a, he raised Christ from the dead and accepted his sacrifice for our sins. And he's the one that grants us the peace and reconciliation.
It's all grace. There's no part of us in that whatsoever. There's nothing there that involves the Galatians or us. What is the good news of who Jesus Christ is in these passages? What has He done for us? He gave Himself for our sins. obedient yes again we see that Jesus was part of who sent Paul he wants us to know about him it's by his grace that he sends Paul he directed Paul we know that when he was there to meet him on the road to Damascus and he directs Paul and gives him his word gives him the gospel he grants grace and peace and he willingly gave his life it says he raised him from the dead so Jesus died for us so grace is shown by his death burial and resurrection and he took all our punishment on the cross it's all grace there's there's no aspect of that in these first five verses that talk about anything that we can do so who are the Galatians in this story? Who are they identified as? They could be. <laughs> That's not what I was looking for, but yes, I guess they could be part, partly brothers and sisters who were with him. Uh, at that time. Uh, yes. Yes. So the Galatians were helpless. They're identified as the ones who are, are in need of rescue from their sins. They're completely helpless, completely dependent, completely reliant on the work of our Savior. So they're subject to the present evil age, which is talking about the fact that we're surrounded by sin, we're surrounded uh, by uh, Satan, uh, who has power at this given time, and they're subject to it. But it's, it's helplessness. The Galatians are helpless by themselves. There's nothing that they can do by themselves. And we're in the same conditions as the Galatians. So the question is, why is it that we want to believe a different gospel that involves our own efforts? We're beguiled. Okay. Why do we gravitate? Let me ask it a different way. Why do we gravitate to trying to do something to earn our salvation? What is it that causes us to want to do that? Pride. Pride. You want glory. Dave?
Our fallen human nature is that we want to have the glory. We want to be the glory. And, the, and it's very clear here that it's the Father who gets the glory. It's not us. Our human nature, our fallen human nature, is that we want the glory. Our pride drives our desire not to accept the gospel because we want to have a part of it. We want to earn it. We want to do something to justify why we get it. So I want to just end our study of the five verses with, with this, little, this little truth. Paul ends those five verses with amen, which means so be it. There's nothing else to add to it here. The gospel that he just put in several sentences is all that you need to know. That's all you need to rely upon, upon for your salvation. There's nothing in addition to that that will justify you with God and reconcile, reconcile you with God. So I'd like to play a short video um, by Alistair Begg that I think illustrates this idea better than I probably could ever do it. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting into it, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believe, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Let's think about the thief on the cross. And what an amazing, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You've never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor agent. So, Ray, just a few questions for me. First of all, are you, are you, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture and music. This guy's just stay. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself 
beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you. In this sense, that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. So as we close, just leave you with this question as to what gospel message are you preaching to yourself? Um, Alistair put it really, really well. Um, are you focused on the work of Christ and His grace, or are you looking to your own accomplishments and your own works to make you feel at peace with God? You know, the thing he said there is, are you living in despair? In other words, are you focused on you, your failures, the things you're not doing well? Or are you focused on, look at how good I am. I'm involved in all these programs. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing everything. One can lead to despair. The other one can lead to this false sense of security and arrogance that your works are justifying you. And the other one is not focused on the grace of Christ because your failures are saying that grace isn't sufficient. Either one of those is neither place that you should be walking in. So we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, all day, and to those around us. So again, our main idea is it's only by God's grace that we have been rescued from sin and death and reconciled to Him. 